chapter 8, the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 8, we're coming one last time in our verse-by-verse study of Luke's Gospel to this parable of the four soils. So what have we seen in our study of the soils? We've seen that people can approach the truths of God with four different heart conditions. There is the hard-hearted person whose heart is like a path where the soil has been so well trodden that it's, it's hard and no seed can penetrate down into it. The word of God bounces off of this person like pebbles on asphalt. They disregard the word of God or they treat the word of God with contempt. They only hear God's truth in order to reject it or demean it or to mock it. This is the critic. This is the cynic. This is the one who comes to religion not in humble need but in pride and self-assurance. Others come to the truths of God with a more receptive heart and initially seem responsive to it, but once they are tested, once they are put in situations where they have to make a choice, we find that they choose to follow their own whims or their own desires rather than the Lord Jesus. They follow their hearts instead of his word. This is the seed on rocky soil. It has no moisture. It has no roots. Once the heat of the sun comes out, that faith withers and dies. Any faith that is not an obedient faith, any faith that that doesn't trust Jesus in the test when it's hard, is proven false. Last Sunday, we looked at the seed among the thorns, the the person who is initially responsive to God's truth. For a time, they seem eager to follow Jesus, but other concerns begin to take priority. Anxieties, cares, the pursuit of wealth, trivial earthly pleasures, really anything becomes more important to this person than Jesus and his cause. And the stuff of this world chokes the faith of this person. And it's proven false. Praise God the parable doesn't end there. Praise God that there really are people with a fourth condition of the heart. That there is a spirit of God who works in the hearts of sinners And prepares the soil of their hearts to receive God's truth in such a way that it bears real lasting fruit. These are people who come to the word of God with sincerity. Wanting to learn from God. Wanting to believe what he says. Wanting to to cherish what he says and then act on what he says. These are people who come to God's truth in humility. And they cling to his words. His words are life to them. And so this morning, I want us to rejoice in the goodness of God 
as we look at the good soil. So look with me at Luke 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 4. Verse 4. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Well, again, we're not left wondering... As to what the main point is of these verses, there are really only a couple of direct commands in all of these verses. One is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the other is, take care then how you hear. So these verses are intended to challenge us on how we approach the word of God. Whether it's coming to a Sunday sermon like this, or opening up our Bibles at home, or listening to God's Word read aloud on an audio Bible app, or reading the Bible alongside others in a small group study. In fact, this truth applies even to that moment when your Christian brother or sister is having a conversation with you. And and as you share your situation with them, they respond to you with truths from God. How do you receive God's truth when it comes to you? And all the different ways that it finds its way into your life. How do you receive God's truth? I think this applies even to comments that your brothers or sisters in Christ might make maybe a little thoughtlessly that can come across as trite 
maybe you're in the midst of some great suffering. Maybe you have been struck by some intense tragedy. And in your unspeakable hurt, your Christian brother or sister puts their arm on your shoulder and says, well, God is in control. And in that moment, you can treat that as a throwaway statement. You can even treat that as a calloused statement, as a cold statement. You can let it bounce off you like pebbles on the street. Or you can humbly speak to your own heart and say, receive that truth. Because it is true. God is in control, and that means my suffering is not meaningless. There is a purpose behind every tragedy and not one ounce of pain or hurt will prove to be in vain on the last day you see when it comes to the word of God however it comes to us everything depends on our attitude everything depends on our heart receptivity and so much good can be gained from God's word when our hearts are fertile soil ready to receive those truths. So take care how you hear. Notice that there is a note of intentionality here. Thought is required, will is required. You have to keep a watch on your heart. Take care how you hear. You know the word of God is to be revered highly and received with humility. So when you sense that you're not doing so, sirens need to go off in your soul. You need to spring into action. You need to preach to yourself or do whatever is necessary to bring your heart back to an appropriate posture before the words of the Most High King. What does James 1 say? Put away all filthiness and rampantness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So notice verse 15, how Jesus describes the good soil. This is his explanation to the disciples of the good soil. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So note first that this person hears the word of God and holds it fast. The idea of this word is that you've got something precious and you will not let it go. You, you grasp it with the idea of keeping it, treasuring it. You're not going to let it get away from you. You're holding it fast. I think of Gollum and his precious ring. Except that ring corrupted Gollum. As he treasured it and held on to it. Whereas the word of God has the opposite effect as you hold fast to it. It purifies and sanctifies and increases security and peace and joy. But like the ring, make no mistake, the word of God can get away from you. 
Your heart and your mind only have so much capacity. The more you fill your heart and mind with other things and don't refresh them in the word of God, the more you can lose these valuable truths. The good soil is the heart that hears the word of God with the intention of remembering these truths, holding them in the heart, hiding them in your heart that you might not sin against God. The good soil receives the word of God as what it is, a treasure. And whatever else needs to be relinquished, whatever else must be let go, you're going to make sure that there is a priority of place in your heart for these truths. For it is these truths that make you who you are. They are to be the dominant truths of your life. They are the words of the Most High God. To put it differently, the word of God is like your map or your instructions of how to make it safely through this life, through the day of judgment, into heaven itself. The the word of God is like your guide to the celestial city and how to make the journey while being the greatest blessing to others along the way. You may fill your heart and your mind with all sorts of other information on the journey. But you need to come back again and again to your guide. You need to come back again and again to your instructions, to your Bible, or else you'll lose your way. You have enemies that want you to get distracted. You have enemies that want you to forget these truths. And honestly, in this world of ours, your brain can get foggy really quickly. So we've got to come back to the word of God. We've got to keep it in our chest pocket, so to speak, so that we're just pulling it out again and again. Where am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to be handling this situation? Which way am I to walk here? It is a faithful guide, a reliable guide. We need to treasure it. Don't lose your map. Jesus describes the good soil as an honest and good heart. The idea here seems to be that of sincerity. So many people came to hear Jesus preach with double motives. (laughs) So many people came to hear Jesus preach, but they really weren't there for the sermon. They were there for the show. Or they were there because they wanted to filter what he said through a cynic's perspective of, of why they should reject him. This is the person who genuinely wants to hear, wants to believe, wants to obey. These are disciples sitting at the feet of a master. That's the good heart. You come to God's word with the cry of Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. You approach the word of God with Psalm 25, 4 in your heart. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Teach me your paths. Is that that the state of your heart this morning? Is that your cry, Psalm 119, 27? Make me understand the way of your precepts. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. 
Not, Lord, I'm going to walk in the way of your commandments. No, Lord, I will run in the way of your commandments. What is needed? Oh, God, enlarge my heart that I will have room to receive them all, to cherish them all, to be changed by them all, to keep them all. Psalm 119, verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Notice that Jesus says the good soil bears fruit with patience. In other words, the true believer is the one that recognizes following Jesus is a marathon, not a sprint. The plant among the rocks, it shot up quickly. It was like a sprint. And it didn't make it. It didn't persevere. It proved to be all emotion and no substance. The good soil is in the race for the long haul. Isn't that what baptism is? In marriage, till death do we part. In baptism, Lord Jesus, I'm yours, whatever the future may bring, till death and after. The person who is the good soil stores up God's word in his or her soul today For trials that will come decades in the future. This this isn't the Christian who simply shows up at church in moments of desperation. This is the person who systematically, methodically, obediently comes to church services, spends time with Christian friends who are faithful counselors, reads good books or listens to audio sermons, all as daily bread for the soul, daily manna. To keep up his strength as he, as he rounds the next corner and climbs the next hill or wades through the next swamp on the way to the celestial city. The celestial city, it's looming larger and larger as you get closer and closer. But there's so many obstacles in the way. And so what are you constantly doing? You're feeding on the word of God. So that you've got strength for whatever's around the next bend. You don't know what next week's trials are going to be. You don't know what next year's trials are going to be. And you don't know what your trials are going to be 10 years from now. But you can be preparing yourself for them. Through the word of God. Diligence. Faithful, patient, consistent obedience. This is the true believer. And note that Jesus emphasizes in verse 8. The blessings. That come to this person. He says this person yields fruit. A hundredfold. That is not normal. Most picture wheat. As far as the context. When Jesus is giving this parable. A typical wheat crop. Was not a hundredfold. This is unusual blessing. The idea is that while many come to God's word with unfaithful hearts and bear no lasting fruit, those who continue to receive God's word with faithfulness will find that he blesses us through that word beyond our expectation, beyond our imagination. 
And how many of us in this room could testify that Jesus has blessed us in ways we could not even have considered when we first began to feast on his word years ago? He has dealt us bounty in ways we could not even understand when we were first baptized. There are the inward blessings. And then also the many ways that Jesus works through us to impact others. Through our actions, our example, our words, our generosity, our service. How exciting it will be. When we get to heaven and see for ourselves how much Jesus did in us and through us. My guess is, dear believer, if you've walked with the Lord Jesus for much time at all, you've produced more fruit than you probably know. It's not because my confidence is in you that I say that. It's because the Lord Jesus, he's a good gardener. He knows what he's doing. And of course, we will glorify him on the last day when we see the mighty things he did in and through us. Maybe you say, Justin, I'm, I'm a little concerned. The good soil in this parable is the one plant that perseveres. It's the only plant that is truly reaped by the farmer, taken to the barn. This, this last soil is the only true Christian Justin, I see so little fruit in my own life. I had hoped by this point to be godlier than I am. I always thought I'd be holier than I am at this point in my life. I still struggle with sins I thought I'd have conquered decades ago. What does that mean about me? Let me mention three points that I hope will encourage you. Number one. God is patient with us in this area of fruit bearing. He's patient with us. Just as a farmer plants seed in the ground and then waits for the crop while faithfully nurturing and watering the seed, so God is patient with us. And probably more patient than you think. Last week, I started quoting a parable from Luke 13. I'm going to give you more of it this morning. Just listen to this. I think it's encouraging. He told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? The vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone this year also. Until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it still bears no fruit next year, you can cut it down. And if it should bear fruit, well and good. There's actually a lot of truths in that parable. But the main one I want us to see is that God is extraordinarily patient with us. The the owner waits three years For the tree to bear fruit. Only after those three years does he order for it to be cut down. And even in the parable, the vine dresser says, no, let's give it another year. And the implication is that the owner says, okay, we'll give it another year. Keep nurturing. Right? Keep fertilizing that seed. We'll give it another year. If we are truly God's people, 
and we stay nurtured in the Word of God, the fruit will come. Some plants take longer than others to bear fruit. Pear trees, sweet cherry trees, they can take up to six to seven years before they bear fruit. Or within any type of tree, see apples, right? Some apple trees bear fruit in their second year. Others take as long as five. All Christians are not the same. We will bear fruit at different durations. We will bear fruit in differing degrees. But by God's grace, if we are His and we are rooted in the Word of God, there will be a harvest. So stay nourished and rejoiced. rejoice. Christ is patient with you. He is patient with you. Second, for the person who sees little fruit in their life, let me just point out that this is one of the great blessings of genuine church membership. Because you see, it turns out we are far better at evaluating other people than we are at evaluating ourselves. We can look at others and we can see the fruit in their lives. And we look at ourselves and sometimes we only see the negative the bad, the sin. Within a body of believers, especially in a local church, we're able to hear from others the fruit that they see in us, evidences of God's grace that they see in us. And meaningful church membership is an affirmation from other believers that they see genuine gospel fruit in our lives. One of the great gifts of church membership is this. If your fellow church members ever start seeing a lot of rotten fruit, if your fellow church members start seeing you acting in disobedience and unrepentance and continued rebellion against Christ, they are to come to you and practice Matthew 18. And eventually, if you continue to follow your own will rather than God's, they will love you by practicing biblical church discipline and removing you from local church membership. In other words, when we're voting someone into church membership, we're doing something important. We're serving them by giving our testimony. We see gospel fruit in you. And when someone is beginning to prove themselves to be the seed among the rocks or the seed among the thorns, we are loving them by trying to wake them up through church discipline and say, wake up. Get yourself rooted in the word. Humble your heart. Repent of your sin. Our culture has largely lost this wonderful gift of meaningful church membership. We need to recover it. And then third, to the person who sees little fruit at the moment, let me just remind you that trusting Jesus for the fruit in your life is itself a kind of fruit. And it's actually one of the best of them all. It's one of the choicest fruits. In fact, it's, it's from the fruit of faith that seeds come that bear all kinds of other fruit. So if you quiet your heart, don't give way to, to needless anxiety. Quiet your heart. Look to Jesus again. Rest in him. Continue learning from him. Continue seeking to be his disciple. You can be sure he will prove himself faithful. Fruit will come in its season. Don't despair. Continue to trust. Continue to learn. Continue to obey. Look with me at verses 16 and 17 real quickly. 
because this really is connected to this good soil, Jesus is now speaking only to his disciples, right? He spoke the parable to the crowd, but the explanation of the parable he gave to his disciples. And then having given them that explanation, he follows it up by saying, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So what is Jesus communicating there? Jesus is teaching his disciples that the truths which they are being taught in private are not to be kept private. These secrets of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing to his disciples in private are to be taken by them to the world. One mark of the good soil is that it receives the word of God, not just for its own sake, but that it might share the word of God with others. The heart that produces fruit is the heart that sits at the feet of Jesus, learns the truths of God, believes and obeys, but also takes the truths of God to others. Yes, for a season, for a time, as we've seen, Jesus explained earlier, he was going to speak to these crowds in parables. But soon, very soon, these apostles were to take these very same truths to the world, and they were to speak them clearly. They were to speak them at length, answering questions, helping people understand. One doesn't light a lamp, which is exactly what Jesus is doing in these apostles. One doesn't light a lamp in order to cover it and hide it away. You light a lamp in order to give light to all in the room. The truths of God being taught by Jesus to these men, especially these all-important gospel truths, were to be set on a stand to give light to the world, to any who would come and see. And the church, founded on the apostles, is to be a pillar and buttress of truth, right? holding up the truth to the world. As we've said so many times, your life and my life as Christians, we should be like individual torches, and wherever God has placed you, whatever callings and circumstances you are in, you're a light of truth in the darkness. And then together we are like a bonfire, shining brilliantly, high and hot and blazing into the darkness. For one day, Jesus says, everything that's now hidden will be made known. There are no secrets on the last day. And that means the truths of Jesus will be known to all. The people who never heard about Jesus in this life. They'll know him on that day. On the last day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The heart that was so hardened and would not receive the truth of Jesus in this life will be made to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus on that day. But we don't want souls to wait till that day to call on the Lord. So we're to receive God's word, not just for ourselves, but in order to carry it to those around us. We're to be hearts who receive the seed, and then we bear fruit, which reproduces the seed, which bears fruit, which reproduces the seed, which bears fruit. From the good soil comes the good plant that leads to other good plants, forming a garden, forming an orchard for the glory of God. 
And by the way, isn't the story of the last 2,000 years the story of exactly that happening? There are more lovers of Jesus Christ on this planet today than there's ever been at any other point in the history of the world. Real quickly, verse 18. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. See that word, then. (laughs) Take care then how you hear. In light of everything I've just said, take care how you hear. Because your heart can reject the word of God like the seed on the path, or because your heart can lose the truth in the midst of trials, or because your your heart can lose faith when it gets choked out by the stuff of this world, watch how you hear. Make sure you approach the word of God with humility and meekness and a readiness to believe and obey. And not just that, receive the word of God with the intention of of bringing it to others. To love them with God's truth as Christ is loving you with God's truth. And notice that in the Christian life, no one is ever standing still. You either have and you're gaining more or you think you have, but you don't. And even what you think you have is being lost. In other words, one person genuinely has the word of God in their hearts. And as they believe it and obey it, they are producing more and more fruit. And the word of God is now living and active within them. And their capacity for more and more of God's truth, their depth and their breadth and their width of understanding is just constantly being enriched. God's glory is multiplying in that person. Don't underestimate what God can do in you. Don't underestimate the kind of person you can be even just a year from now as you hold fast and feast on the word of God. But to the person who has sat in church and attended Sunday school classes classes and read their Bible, but they never took it to heart. It didn't get rooted in them. Even all that they've learned, it will be lost. Other things will take priority. And the very truths that are the way of salvation and the way of peace and joy, the doorway to glories upon glories, they will be lost under the heat of trials and the distractions of this world. So even this morning, what is the condition of your heart towards the truths that I've been preaching? Are you receiving these truths like silver and gold? Like precious jewels? Are you receiving these truths like water to a thirsty soul? Are you receiving these truths as the life-giving morsels they are? Is there gratitude in your heart? Is there wonder in your soul as you hear the truth of God? Or are you merely concerned with your afternoon plans? The seed is the same in every case. The truths of God are the truths of God. They don't change. What makes the difference? Your heart conditions how you receive the word of God. Mount Hermon, let us be a people of the Bible. Let us bleed Bible. Let us eat and drink Bible. Let us speak and sing Bible. 
May we be known as a people of the book. And may it run deeply in us and form roots in us so strong and rich that we become like our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.